Hello. Welcome to The Fix. The biggest, and for many, the scariest change promised to the private rented sector by the upcoming Renters' Reform Bill is the abolition of Section 21 evictions. In this episode, our Head of Sales, Will Arrowsmith, talks to David Smith, partner at JMW Solicitors, about what's happening and its potential impact. Section 21, if you could just kind of pre-see as much as you can as what was in the bill and, and kind of the changes and how these changes are going to affect us. Sure. I mean, the, the obvious thing that everyone has talked about, so yonks now, is that there'll be no more Section 21. So no two months notice period without cause. So any eviction will have to have a reason given of some description. Obviously, the quality of those reasons vary as, as depending on the ground that you're relying on, but, but essentially you're going to have to have a reason of some sort. Um. What that also means, I think the, the bigger point really, is that ASTs are disappearing altogether. There will be no assured shorthold tenancies. All tenancies will be fully assured. There will be no fixed terms. So tenants in principle, at least as the bill is currently drafted, um, can walk into a property, immediately give notice, and that'll be two months notice, and leave again. Um, so it, the, the, the change there is quite radical, um, and, and effectively all tenants will be tenants for life in principle uh, up until the landlord fills one of the, the sort of set out grounds for possession. So in a sense, it's it's copying what's already happened in Scotland under the fixed term tenancies out there. Um, and it's willfully unbalanced in the sense that landlords can't really evict without reason. Tenants can give two months notice whenever they want. So, so I suppose in a sense, it's it's completely flipped around from uh, arguably from the previous position where landlords could give two months notice in principle at any point. Um, and um, and and tenants won't. So and you mentioned, oh God, the has popped up a question which is quite relevant, which is: Will tenants <laughs> be obligated to provide two months' notice on fully assured tenancies? I presume what Katrina is referring to here is two months' notice on pre-existing assured tenancies that predate the legislation. Um, I suspect not, but I can't answer that question because these are these are transition provisions, and they will appear much later. Um, after the bill has been passed and we're moving into the transition phase before it comes into force. Um, I mean, a similar question like someone's already asked me is, doesn't this mean that fully assured tenants can be evicted if the landlord wants to sell, which currently they can't be, mm-hmm. but there is a ground for possession if you want to sell. And I'm sure we'll talk about a couple of those in just a moment. Um, and, and, and so that seems a bit harsh on fully assured tenants that can suddenly now be evicted for sale. Um, I don't know um, what, the government's planning to do with fully assured tenancies might be surprised or existing fully assured tenancies that become assured tenancies under the new regime. I, I suspect they'll they'll have some exemptions for those. Will the new tenancy have a break clause for landlord to issue notice? No, because landlords can't give notice without cause and there are no fixed terms. So you wouldn't need a break clause. The tenancies will all be periodic from day one. So the position under the new regime, is that any tenancy you grant will be a fully assured tenancy that will be periodic from day one. If you seek to grant a fixed-term tenancy, you'll be committing an offence. Um, and if you suggest the tenant the tenancy is for any form of fixed term, you'll be committing an offence. So tenants aren't bound in for any fixed term at all. Um, so there are no break clauses or anything like that because landlords don't have any ability to give notice other than within one of the specified grounds for possession. I think it's They've been mentioned a couple of times already. So those kind of specified grounds and, and Section 8 and the, the bolstering of that. Do you mind just giving a bit of summary of those 
what's been added to those grounds ultimately? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of grounds that are not hugely relevant. So there are vast screeds of new grounds that apply to social landlords because social landlords use ASTs too, and and they have specific needs for possession in certain circumstances. There's a whole screed of grounds that apply to them that, that don't really register for your average landlord or at least your average private landlord. Um, there's um, some grounds that people are very familiar with don't change. Grounds 8, 10, and 11, for example, various forms of registries are basically the same. Although notice periods are increased, so uh, all all two week notice periods basically are now four week notice periods. So grounds eight, ten, and eleven uh, are four weeks notice. Ground twelve is unchanged um, for um, for breach of contract. What we have is then some changes to uh, the lower numbers, ones people never traditionally use. So one, there were various restrictions on on grounds one, two, three, four, and five that you had to give notice before the start of a tenancy that you would be relying on one of those grounds. That 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 requirement has gone. A lot of the restrictions that used to apply to grounds have gone. And that also means a lot of the restrictions that used to apply to section 21 have also gone. So for example, no one requires you to have a gas safety certificate before using a ground for possession. No one requires you to have um, an HMO license before using ground possession. So all of the things that we used to worry about before serving a section 21 notice don't apply. The only limitation that will now exist is the court will not be allowed to make a possession order if your tenancy deposit is not properly protected and prescribed information served. So obviously ASTs are going away. What, what it should be obvious about this is that is that things like uh, tenancy deposit protection and the Tenant Fees Act still apply. It's just that they're going to be reworded slightly to, to change the meaning of assured, short, old to assured. Uh, so back to the point, however, grounds, lots lots of the little restrictions have gone away. Um, but then we've got some added grounds. There's a new ground 1A, if a landlord is intending to sell a property. As it's drafted, there is no real limitation on it. You merely have to say that you're intending to sell. If you use this ground, um, you then have, uh, you're then not allowed to relet the property for three months from the date of notice. But I don't think that's a huge limitation. Obviously, I, I should immediately point out people who said surely landlords will lie. Mm. I expect some of them will, but I should point out if you go to court having lied about it, that is contempt of court. And the starting point for sentencing for that kind of contempt is three months in prison. So the judge wow. is looking for reasons for you not to go to jail. So um, I would really advise people who I've, I've seen a number of people saying, oh, well, I'll just tell lies about it on, on various forums. I'd really advise people to think twice about that as as an option. If you, I mean, you, you may take the view, well, I just won't get caught. But if you do get caught, you'll be being a tenant of her, of, I would say her majesty, his majesty, <laughs> um, for several months. And I, I can assure you anything that you might think about the poor quality of the private rented sector goes goes double for, um, for his majesty's prisons. They're um, not salubrious places to go. Um so there's a new ground for sale. There's no particular restrictions on it. Uh, you just have to give two months notice. At the moment, there is no, no particular need to prove it. So I think the courts will simply accept a witness statement where you say you're going to sell. Um, there's various back and forth about that, but it's quite difficult to put restrictions on it without disrupting the conveyancing and, and sales market um, quite substantially. And I think the government would be quite reluctant to do that at the moment. Um and then the other sort of big, big change is that there's a new ground for possession uh, in respect of repeated rent arrears. So if a tenant goes into two months arrears, 
um, three times over a three-year period, then that creates a mandatory ground for possession, and that's ground 8A, and that will allow recovery of possession as well. There are lots of other small grounds of possession, but I don't think it's terribly productive at this stage to get into them, into a discussion of them, um, because, frankly, we could be going on forever. And um, <laughs> and um, that's a, a, a bit of a problem. Definitely. Um, I see someone's asked, Tom has asked, Section 21 is going. How does the law apply when the tenant claims there is outstanding maintenance issues? This has never applied to Section 8 as far as I know. Well, actually, it kind of does apply to Section 8, Tom, um, but just in a different way. Um, a tenant could only claim there was outstanding maintenance issues in respect of Section 21 notices if the tenant said that they'd sought an improvement notice, the local authority had served an improvement notice that blocked you from serving a Section 21. That won't be relevant under the Section 8 process. And of course, there's no requirement for it. The reason it existed to block Section 21 was to prevent people doing retaliatory evictions by evicting tenants rather than making improvements to their property. You won't be able to use Section 21, so you won't be able to do a retaliatory eviction. So there isn't a huge amount of point in blocking it. Obviously, repair issues can block Section 8 notices, and it's commonly used as a defensive factor to rent risk claims. Uh, on the basis that the tenant makes a counterclaim for disrepair and seeks compensation for the for the arrears, but in practice, it's it's never as great a claim as most people think. Because unless a disrepair is really horrific, it's quite difficult to wipe out that amount of rent arrears. Interesting. I see some other questions popped in. Uh, someone's brought me back to ground one A and said, "Is it three months from issuing the notice or three months when they've paid?" It's actually three months from the expiry date of the notice. So one of the interesting possibilities here is you might go to court, um, fully intending, of course, to sell, but then change your mind and you would, in effect, be able to relet immediately because it's going to take way more than three months to get possession through the courts. Um, so that's certainly one of the sort of wrinkles in here. There is a bit of a push to increase that time period and that might change as the bill progresses through Parliament. But um, as things stand, it's it's not in most cases, I suspect, a substantive block. Interesting. I'm going to ask it just because we had one of these, the pre-questions coming in, and I know you mentioned there were lots of various subsections on the grounds, but the one mentioned about if you've got a family member moving in, is there any clarification as to how close that family member must be um, as a, yeah, a ground? I mean, it, it must be a direct family member, direct. By, which, by which I basically mean you or your kids. Yeah. So that or your spouse. So... Or, I mean, and or someone living as your spouse but that's that's it there's no it doesn't allow you to move in your fifth cousin or anything like that <laughs> it's got to be someone quite quite direct quite direct really interesting david the, the points lots of questions we had as well prior to the webinar were all about uh student tenancies and the abolition of asts for tenancies is there going to be any exceptions for, for kind of students at all well, this is an interesting point because the government has said that there'll be an exemption for the PBSA, but there isn't one in the bill as drafted today. Um, this is actually a bit of a, an ongoing problem in that the government accepts that it's got to think harder about student tenancies. And certainly all the conversations I've had with DIUAC and officials, they've, they've kind of said, yeah, we, we don't think we've got the student issue quite right yet. Um, okay. and, and I think they are going to consider whether they need to make some substantive revision 
to allow, for example, uh, PRS student-lets mm-hmm. have similar fixed terms. Um, because because at the moment it's it's potentially quite unreasonable and unfair. No, and I think um, one, it will make landlords quite cautious about renting to students. I think it might also make it quite unfair on students in that there'll be an inconsistent position for and in the PBSA and the position of PRS and students who live in both are going to end up getting terribly confused about which one applies to them. Definitely. I think, of course, the stock problem as well, to an extent, there's not enough student housing as it is. And if students are going to stay on in the local area when they find a job and the periodic tendencies just continue. Um, yeah, lots of problems there. So interesting that they've kind of held their hands up and gone, we haven't quite got it right. So we can we can expect kind of more to, more to come on that. Um, got a lobbying question for you. Do you think sustained lobbying will either res- reverse the abolition of fixed term tenancies or give the tenant the choice of choosing to have a fixed term is that no rumblings you've heard it all nope there you go I, I can see that sustained lobbying will create a minimum period that will mean that tenants um can't um can't give notice inside the first six months or something like that mm-hmm. so tenants are about tenants are bound to a minimum period but i don't see any probability of any form of fixed term no okay interesting and Got a kind of key one, I guess, related to, to HMOs and, and students more broadly. But the one tenant, are they able to bring the periodic tenancy to an end? Um, is this going to create an issue for sharers where kind of one tenant wants to leave? And at the moment, they can kind of do that swap in, swap out situation. Um, uh, this is actually quite an interesting one because I did raise this with the government myself when they were drafting the legislation. They've made a complete hash of this because. As many people will know, inside a fixed term. Um, if there's a break clause for the tenants, all the tenants must give notice together. Mm-hmm. If the tenancy is periodic, that doesn't apply. And any one tenant can give notice to eliminate the tenancy for everybody. And, and so this is a bit of a bit of a problem in, in practice because, and indeed this is frequently used, this is something that uh, local authorities rely on a lot. If uh, they have a, a, a family who, who splits up, they basically go rushing along and get one of them to sign a notice to quit, a tenant's mm-hmm. notice to quit, and then use it to get rid of everyone else. Um, but the government said they would resolve this problem in the renters' reform bill, and they simply haven't done anything about it at all. <laughs> so if all tenancies are periodic, then then and and it's a shared accommodation. It seems to me that any tenant can give notice that we're binding on everybody else, and landlords can simply accept that notice and throw them all out. Oh. Um, and this creates real problems because one, of course, students fall out all the time. I mean, if you want to talk about students specifically, students fall out all the time. Mm-hmm. And often they, they they split up and they leave, and the landlords are going to be stuck with a very difficult position of having to accept this notice to quit from one of them, um, and then and then either create new tenancy with the remainder, presumably for a lower rent, or throw them all out and start again. And um, I think the other problem that, that is going to come up here is council tax, because I think one of the, the challenges for the, the student rent market is for landlords has always been the, the summer. Mm-hmm. Essentially, students don't particularly want properties during the summer, particularly not in in the third year. Um, uh, from from that you know, sort of July to September window, um, and and landlords, of course, want them there because otherwise they have to pay council tax um, because because most local authorities don't allow for void periods um, in, in council tax anymore. So there's always been this desire to try and keep your students bound in, mm-hmm. but um, I think that's um, going to 
to be a difficulty. And I think students, as they start to understand the position, will be giving notice and seeking to leave, leaving landlords then liable for council tax for those those summers. And I think local authorities will almost certainly want to collect it. Interesting. And just a kind of final one, I suppose, on, on the subject, students, HMOs in general, uh, Geordie's coming and gone. Is there any expectation to have an exemption for HMOs in regards to evictions? So I guess I'm almost on the other side of the coin, specifically in, in regards to HMOs where occupants are on separate tenancies rather than a, than a joint tenancy? No, no, not really. Um, I don't think this is not unconnected to a question that someone else asked. Amy's asked a question saying on antisocial behaviour, will that be a mandatory mm. ground? No, it won't. It will still be a discretionary ground, but it's been amended. Amy's saying if you can prove there's been nuisance caused to a neighbour, landlord or agent, actually that's no longer going to be the requirement of ground 14. The behaviour must merely be capable of causing a nuisance. You will not have to wheel in the neighbours and say, to get them to say, this has caused me a nuisance. You merely have to say this behaviour is clearly unacceptable and, and would cause a nuisance to any reasonable person. Um and, and the court will have to, to accept that. So I think that's a, a significant improvement as well. Definitely. Um, any final notes on anything you think we've missed in that discussion there on... on well, I can see lots of questions, which I'll just try and... Yeah. Is the new Grand Data two months notice as well? That's a good question. I don't think so. I think it's, um, it's uh, four weeks off the top of my head, but I'm sure it will, it will need to be clarified later. Charles said, can you move siblings in? Yes, you can actually. Ground one has been altered. So it's not just about moving in your, your spouse, which is what it was originally. You can move in your parents, uh, your grandparents, your siblings, your children, or your grandchildren. Um, okay. So um, you can actually, uh, or, or indeed the, the children or grandchildren of your civil spouse or civil partner as well, if they're not, uh, if they're not, if they're not your own. So um, ground one is widened quite considerably because it used to be you know i wanted that for myself or my spouse um it's now been widened quite considerably to allow you to move your children and things as well so that makes a that's a you know a huge advantage potentially to people who might be sort of what you might call accidental landlords who acquired property uh particularly in london say and have, have moved away and they've kept it on rental but then decide they want to use it for their children to go to university or something like that that would be a sort of classic scenario where that would be required. And in the same token, I see experience saying, will landlord be required to provide yeah, evidence of the relation status of the person he moves into? <laughs> well, it'll depend. It's a, it's a balance of probabilities. But, I mean, yes, probably, but that shouldn't be terribly difficult. All you need is a birth certificate. I mean, we're, we're only talking about pretty direct relationships here. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to do it with a combination of birth certificates and uh, marriage certificates without too many problems. Too much hassle. Um, great stuff. I see someone's also asked what the next period is for landlord to attend on the ground 1A. Oh. It is two months, which I think I mentioned, but just to clarify that, it's, it's going to be two months. So most notice periods are, are somewhat increased. I think the other thing we should probably talk about here is, is courts um, in this context. So obviously one of the, the big problems with all of this is that um, courts um, are going to be a, a challenge in, in the sense that they're already backed up. They're going to get worse. Because we're getting rid of ASTs and Section 21, we're going to get rid of accelerated possession proceedings, which are all done in paper. Mm-hmm. And they were about two-thirds of the total caseload for the private sector. All of those cases are now going to have to be heard in person. So I think one of the key 
concerns about all of this is actually not all the stuff about tenancy terms, but more about the actual practicality of getting possession on a day-to-day basis. In, in some senses, you know, having to have a ground of possession is not that important. If the courts were really efficient mm. and turned around all possession hearings in a month and then evicted people probably within that period, I don't think most people would be that bothered. But the reality is it now takes four, five, six, seven, eight months in, in many cases to secure possession. And one of the key areas that, that we've not had much satisfactory answering on is, is how we're going to reduce that time period and bring it back under control. Yeah, and I, I know in the, in the white paper, they kind of mentioned they'd work with the Ministry of Justice to try and solve that problem. So it, there there hasn't been much in the way. Yeah, of... I've heard that said as well by the DRUHC, yeah. but I've not heard anything said by the Ministry of Justice. Which is the key one there. Yeah. If the Ministry of Justice is doing something, the Ministry of Justice says something. Yeah. I'll answer two more questions very quickly. I see Lou said, post changes don't give tenants any security from risk of landlords choosing to sell. Do I think the government may U-turn on fixed terms? No, I don't. Um, because in fact, there, are, there is security. You can't use ground 1A inside the first six months of occupation. So in practice, there is some security from it. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit, I accept, not as much. Um, and how should a replacement tenant be dealt with? Can one person replace with another assured tenancy of the house? Yes, you can do a swap in and out. There's no change to the law around that. You've been listening to episode four, section 21 and tenancy reforms. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again for the next episode in our Renters Reform Bill series, where we look at rent periods and rent increases.